0: You're listening to From Passion to Profit, a show about female entrepreneurs who have built their businesses from the ground up and turned their passion into profit. These episodes share their most inner working thoughts, their journey, triumphs, and challenges. Whether you're just starting out or looking to take your business to the next level, these women have valuable advice and insights to share. If you want to turn your passion into profit, this podcast is for you. I'm thrilled to introduce you to Audrey Sacon, founder of Audrey Digital. Audrey is an amazing friend, mentor, and a more phenomenal marketer and agency owner. It's an absolute honor to have her on the podcast and to share with you the full details of her journey. Yes, even the origin, you might not know who Audrey is, but you very well know at least a few of the people she supported within her career, including Marie Forleo and Sophia Amoruso. Audrey's story is unique, but it's also one that genuinely can happen to anyone, including you. Her story is the exact epitome of when you prepare for the best, the best will come and you'll have the first opportunity. So whether you're listening in the car, while you're getting ready, or with a pen and paper in hand, get ready to peek into the life of Audrey Sacon.
1: I've always been doing marketing, but it's not, you know. On a, if you look at my resume, on a piece of paper, if you look at where I went to school, it's not. It's not what I studied. It's you wouldn't think it's what I, you know, would have done. Uh, I went to college for music. I actually started as a music education major. I, you know, learned. I, I knew in high school that I wanted to pursue and study music. And when I was in high school, the options presented to me were you either become a performer or you become a teacher. And the lifestyle of a performer is so volatile and risky. And while I do love a good risk, that type of risk where really nothing's in your control is not the type of risk that I like. So I knew that that wasn't a lifestyle for me. And I went to school for music education. And year into my time there, I found um, stage management and music business, which like, at the school I went to has since become a really big program but at the time was just blossoming and it wasn't a thing that people you know knew they could do and I remember when I said to my mom that I wanted to you know switch to music business or music education she you know she's she's always been very supportive and she trusted me and she was like okay because you know you know for her she didn't underst- understand what that meant in terms of like what that job looked like. And, Everybody knows what a music teacher is, right, you know, so I think, you know, I think probably every entrepreneur has had that experience one or several times where the when you're describing to people what you want to do, people can't really put their finger on it, and you're like, you just have to trust me, and that was kind of my first moment of that, um, I studied music, and after college, I worked at a nonprofit doing marketing. Marketing was always the area in music business that I
0: gravitated to. So Audrey discovered her passion for marketing and decided to try to make it in the Big Apple, New York City. Now, New York is probably one of the most competitive job marketplaces for pretty much everything, but especially the marketing job market. So I wanted to find out how competitive it was for her and why exactly she chose New York.
1: Um, I, you know, in the arts, New York city is such a hub, you know, that's really where the, there's jobs in other cities there's jobs in other parts of the country. Like, I mean, I could go back to my hometown and get a marketing job, you know, working for the local orchestra, but you know, there's maybe three marketing jobs in the music industry versus maybe 300. If you count like agencies and all those sorts of things, like there, there are more jobs here. Sure. There's more people and there are, is more competition, but there was also more opportunity. And my, my degree program required us to do an internship. So I did my internship here. It was like a full time 480 hours, which if you want to do the math on that, that's 12 weeks of full time work um, that I had to do as part of my internship. So I was able to get an in at the company that I later worked for because I worked for free for a little while. And they were like, we like you, but like, please stay. And I was like, Wow, you're not going to make I was like, so flabbergasted that I didn't have to apply to jobs, that somebody just wanted to hand me one, like I took the first offer I was given. And I just said yes. And it it was for me, it was the right choice. I think if uh, anybody else is in that situation, like you, you can still negotiate a little bit, or still shop around. But at the time, I was like, Oh, my God, someone's handing me a job, like take it and run.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. I've been there and I'm pretty sure for like the better half of my corporate life, that was all I did. It was like much, much later that I realized negotiation is like part of the ask, yes, part of the offer completely. <laughs> okay. So your nonprofit marketing job, that was kind of your first marketing job outside of college. What were the types of things that you were doing that, um, in that job specifically?
1: Literally everything. Um, I mean, not actually everything, but a lot um, you know a nonprofit does you know nonprofits really set you up well for running your own business because yeah. they're under-resourced underfunded and like everybody's wearing like 20 different hats so i started off as an intern for the marketing department i you know i have always been a you know a little bit of a go-getter so i within my first week like they were launching a new website and i walked into the cio's office like, truly, like, like it was the right thing to do. I was like, can I help you? Like, do you need anything?
0: Mm-hmm. Like,
1: and this guy, who I, is one of the best people I've ever worked for. One of the, like, one of the best bosses for me. Um, mm-hmm. But this guy, who's in his late 30s, in the like, former military guy, like, shaved head, like, bro- coder, And then you have me, like, sunny, happy, bright... Like, (laughs) bushy-eyed, like, bushy-tailed, like, bright-eyed 21-year-old being like, hi, how can I help you? Yeah. (laughs) And he was like, uh, here, go resize these Photoshop files. And I, like, I learned Photoshop. I learned how to, like, program YouTube channels because at the time you could still, like, code YouTube channels and make them look cool. I, like, did front-end on the website. I did digital magazines. I planned digital and in-person events. I ran like virtual live streams. I like literally you'd name it in the like marketing, tech, like ops, kind of not like biz ops, but like Mm -hmm. event ops, like logistics. Like I probably touched it at some point because I just liked you. I just, I raised my hand for every single opportunity.
0: So I really like what Audrey is saying here. The idea of having a diverse set of skills is nothing new but it made me think of the saying jack of all trades, master of none. This saying suggests that it's better to be really good at one skill rather than be decent in many, but I think this saying is quite limited and probably not the best advice in this current job market. In this day and age, the more diverse your skills are, the more you can do and the more valuable you become. It should be your goal to make yourself irreplaceable. Learn skills that are needed, but that most people don't know how to do. These skills can be expensive to pay for, but since you know them, the team can rely on you. Instead of being the jack of all trades or master of one, be the master of jack and the trades and the one. Everything. That should be your perspective in this competitive marketplace. Make yourself irreplaceable. All right, so fast forward five years, you're like 26 at this point. What was next after that? What did that look like?
1: I was exhausted. Well, you know, you don't make very much money working at a nonprofit in New York City. And I, I like nice things. So I worked <laughs> I worked a little extra so I could, you know, live a certain lifestyle that I wanted to enjoy. And I was like, I, I've got to be able to go somewhere and make some more money. Like, I, I think I was in my base salary at my nonprofit job was in like, the mid $50,000 range at that point, which for New York City is like not enough and I read this article about Kim Kardashian's former executive assistant like I and I'm like not even I'm not a Kardashian girl like I'm not a real girl. like I'm not like really in that world but I kind of somewhere found this article and how this woman had been like her right-hand girl she had been in every single meeting like she had become an advisor a confidant and then became the COO of one of her businesses and I was like I want that's where I want to go. I I want to go that route. I want to be next to somebody, and help them scale whatever they're doing in that type of role. And then I want to u- use that as leverage to get into the leadership position that I want. Because while I knew a lot about nonprofit, kind of, I was very much a generalist, and I really only knew how to do one type of business, one type of marketing. And I'm like, I need to not necessarily take a step backwards, but in a role where I can really learn and learn quickly and be immersed. So I started working with a recruiter and tried to find executive assistant jobs. And fun fact, nobody wants to hire a 26 year old executive assistant with no experience because they don't think they're moldable enough. And I was at jury duty one day and just scrolling through my phone as you do and there was a job opening for marie forleo as her executive assistant i was mm-hmm. like okay all it was like a simple google doc application so i applied from my phone in the jury waiting room and didn't think much of it like i kind of knew who she was i kind of followed her but i didn't know much about this industry. So, but I applied. I got an interview. And I had had this mm-hmm. interview. And the interview was with the VP of business operations and um, one of the women on the, like, program of customer care team. And, and the interview went well. And the VP of biz ops emailed me and said, hey, I really like talking to you. Do you have some time later this afternoon to chat further? Like, that was it. She was like, I'm free oh, yeah. after like four Pacific. And I was like, sure. And I'm thinking like, cool. I like, who knows? I was like, maybe this is an offer. Like who knows? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm free at four Pacific. Give me a call. Here's my, my phone number. And she literally started off with, Hey, like we, um, uh, we don't think you're right for this role, but we, we want to work with you in marketing. I, but I can't hire you right now because it was mm. December at the time. You know, B School launched, was launching in February. She was like, I I can't take on a marketing team member to start in January. Like, this just Mm. doesn't make sense. It's going to be stressful for you. It's going to be short. Like, I don't have time, you know. Yeah. It's not going to work. And I was like, okay, like, no problem, you know, but what are you looking for? And we just kind of got to chatting and we had this like 30, 40 minute conversation about, you know, just like Pinterest and content marketing. And the conversation ended with, I know I said I couldn't hire you, but like, can you start in January, maybe part-time?
0: Oh, wow. <laughs>
1: and I said, sure. And yeah. put in my notice and started a couple weeks later.
0: Yeah, that's so cool. So for those of who are listening, who are trying to figure out like, all right, let's, if I find myself in that situation, like what are some key things that essentially resulted in the interviewer like completely doing a 180 on like when to hire you, what would you attribute that conversation or that kind of like 180 switch to? Was it just being empathetic with what you, with what she was saying and kind of showing your expertise along the way? You
1: know, I think she and I just hit it off. We just had a good conversation we, it, and it was a conversation it wasn't an interview it i wasn't trying to sell or anything like did i want to work for them and was i bummed that i might have to wait a little while sure you know i'd done a lot more research about the company i had learned more about the team and the culture and i was just i was really excited about the opportunity so it was truly like i want to learn more when you're you know, ready in three months? How can I be prepared? You know, I think I just showed an eagerness.
0: Another lesson to reflect on that Audrey is speaking to is how to network yourself into opportunity. It can be tempting to approach networking as pitching yourself to everyone. Now, the problem with this mindset is that you end up doing most of the talking. And anytime you're doing all of the talking, you're losing. Instead, ask people questions, listen to their stories, and find out what they need then, once you know them, share how you can serve their needs. See when you do this, you accomplish two things. 1. You get them to like you because people love talking about themselves. 2. You learn exactly what they need which allows you to customize your pitch to them individually, instead of ranting about all the things you can do. A telltale sign you are networking well is if you're speaking 25% of the time while they speak the other 75%. So was this the first time that you heard about the online industry when you looked into Marie Forleo's opening?
1: Oh yeah. I had no idea what I was walking into. Like I, we were selling B-School and I was like, what is this? Like what? I was like, people pay $2,000 for an online course. I was like, that's ridiculous. There's, there's no way people pay for it. Like I, I actually remember finding B-School online from somebody, I think somebody I followed or was an affiliate and I was like, I'm going to pay $2,000 for this. There's no way. I'm like, I don't have $2,000 because I, I did And I was like, I was like, there's that, How do people pay for this? And then come to find out like many people pay for that every year. And to see that not only was this a really incredible, very profitable business, but it was highly impactful. You know, to get to see the stories and, you know, one of the coolest things about working on that team is hearing the stories from inside the community and not just the testimonials that go on the website, like seeing the emails that come in, the volume of emails that come in, seeing like all the unedited, you know, gushing from people of how much their life has been changed by that work was really inspiring and motivating and it was like I I remember saying to my mom and to my friends like I've seen more impact in three months, my first three months working here, than from six months and working at a nonprofit. You know, and that I mean that part of that's the nonprofit I worked at, you know, like being in the arts, it's, it's a different type of impact, right? It's cultural. It's not like, you know, feeding starving children. But you know, seeing how people's lives were literally changed was really cool and seeing that that could come from a for-profit business not just a non-profit type business was really intriguing to me
0: you got the opportunity you made yourself available filled in the gaps how long were you there for
1: about two years
0: oh okay so not as long as a non-profit what made you want to leave then
1: i had really been wanting to explore the startup space for a long time. That that's actually like where I thought after the um, the nonprofit, I thought I was going to go to the startup space next. I had been honestly like probably year 2 or 3 in that job, I was applying for a startup jobs. And they just I just didn't get any of them and I had an opportunity to join one and I did and I hated it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What is when you say startup, do you mean tech startup specifically? Yes. Or just okay?
1: <laughs> yes. I okay. mean every yeah. venture back startup is different. You know, yeah. but I I had never worked at a venture back company before and the Yeah, you know, it wasn't even like the goals and the hustle. Like that didn't bother me, although it was certainly an adjustment because I had come from two companies who just didn't really like goal set. Like the nonprofit did, I nonprofit did on the fundraising side, which I wasn't a part of. And you know, breeze business was so successful that like we set goals, but it wasn't like we need to double your rear. Like it, it wasn't that sort of goal setting that you know you want to put on your resume of like I tripled the Instagram. Like it it wasn't that type of thing. So I went to this, uh, to the startup and like the biggest challenge there was how much involvement advisors have in a VC backed company. And it was really frustrating to me to be hired first, like I was hired for a certain expertise that I had, I was hired for the software that I knew and that specific background and expertise that I had. And I wasn't really being listened to about that specifically, you know, like I, the person who is in the business every day, looking at the numbers, looking at the strategies, you know, was kind of being questioned. And that just like, didn't, it just like, it wasn't great. And, but it wasn't early. I'd only really been there for two to three weeks as I was starting to experience that, and I was like, "All right, I'm just going to learn how to navigate this. Like, this is where I am. This is the job I'm in." And then the pandemic happened.
0: Oh, so this is recent. Okay.
1: Yes, the pandemic happened. We were all sent home. Yeah, we were. We were all sent home, and. Our marketing team went from seven to three and wow. after about a week, and I was one of the only people left. Mm-hmm. And my job that I was hired for where I was finally getting to specialize, finally getting to like really focus on one area, I became mm-hmm. a generalist again because there were no doers on the team anymore. They were all let go. So I went from trying to drive, to create and drive a certain strategy and make sure it was happening to, okay, back to writing the emails, designing the emails, like doing the things, like how to social plan, you know, and just being more of like a general marketing manager. So I was just like everybody else, found myself looking for other opportunities, even though I was still employed, because although I was still employed, I wasn't really doing the job I was hired to do. Yeah. And then, out of the blue, I got a LinkedIn message from Sophia Maruso that she wants to start an online course and she wants to talk to me. And wow. I, And I did talk to her.
0: You had no prior connection to her? No prior message.
1: connection. She just wow. she found me on LinkedIn and... She wasn't even talking to me to hire me. Like she really was just like, I, I see like your background, I see who you've worked for, like I I like, I like literally just want to pick your brain. And I was like, yeah. I actually, I wrote back and was like, is this actually you, that was my <laughs> actual first question. But then yes, yeah. I, I agreed to talk to her on a Saturday and a little over a week later, I had quit my job and was working for her.
0: If you prepare yourself for opportunity, This usually allows you to move fast when opportunity presents itself, but it can be tough to focus on preparing for our opportunity when we see our peers getting the opportunities that we aspire to have. So instead of preparing, we start to compare, it's human nature. But there is a philosophy that I try to live by that has actually been proven true time and time again for my own journey. The philosophy is this, If you see your neighbor get an opportunity, that means opportunity is in the neighborhood and is coming your way. So make sure you're prepared. Prepare, don't compare. Everything in your life, I feel like, happens so fast. (laughs) At least the way that the stories shared, I'm like, it's just one opportunity after another. And I think that's the beauty of, like, being a go-getter for sure.
1: I mean, I I definitely think it looks that way. And I Uh think... I, I do make decisions quickly. Like I very Mm -hmm. much trust my gut and you know, at the end of the day, like you can only trust yourself. Right. So if Mm -hmm. I want to do something, if I feel like it's going to be the right choice, like I will go like, I'll weigh the options. Sure. But I, I think really quickly. So I just weigh them really fast and then I just Mm -hmm. kind of choose if I have to sit on it for too long. A, I'll just get really stressed about it. But Mm -hmm. B, if it's taking me that long to make a decision, it's clearly something doesn't feel right. And maybe it's not the right decision. That's usually how it works out. But Mm -hmm. I think, you know, what you don't see of that is, you know, sure. The job for Marie happened really quickly between when I applied and got an offer and started, like it was probably two months max, Mm -hmm. but I had been applying for jobs for like three, four years
0: and getting nothing. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, it was the right thing at the right time. I mean, mm-hmm. same with the startup job. Like, I was, wasn't was applying for jobs for years, but for a few months. Mm-hmm. And a few months where I was getting no bites and no responses. And I was like, ugh, did I make the wrong move going into this industry? Like, now that I want to try other things, do I just not look attractive? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was just – it was not overnight. <laughs>
0: Yeah. (laughs) It's what it was. Yeah. Well, I'm really glad you shared that little piece because I think specifically with just how, you know, society is going, um, marketing is becoming this kind of go-to job, trending job in a way. And so I've even heard from a couple of people who have like marketing degrees that are like, I am struggling to find a job. Like I have no experience except this degree. You know, recruiters won't even look at me. Um, I'll apply to, like, hundreds in a couple months and won't get anything. Um, and and so I think it's really encouraging to hear, like, obviously it sucks for you in that moment <laughs> to have to be applying for, like, years. Um, thankfully, you had a job at the time. But, yeah, I think that's so encouraging to know it's, like, there's always going to be something specifically for you in that specific moment when the time comes.
1: Totally. And... I, the jobs I didn't get, I'm really glad I didn't get, like, I was, I applied for a lot of, like, corporate jobs, I got really far with Amazon a couple times, like, but I, I don't think I would do well in a large corporate structure, like, it's a lot of red tape, I, like, I, I, what do you do when there's 10 other, 10 other email marketers, like, what is, what's everybody doing? Like how many emails do you have to be sending? Like my brain, like, I don't know how to do that. And I, I actually really struggle. Like I'm very much a big picture thinker. So I, when I can't see the full landscape, it's really hard for me to understand how I fit into it, which is why I feel that I fit really well with smaller businesses because I, I like to be able to pull back, see the whole thing and know how this one thing I'm working on fits into it.
0: Hey there, podcast fans. If you're loving our show, we want to hear from you. Leaving a review is the best way to share your thoughts and help us make our content even better. And if you really want to share your support, share this episode on your Instagram stories and tag us at Cha Media. By sharing our show with your friends and audience, you're helping us reach more people and build our community. Let's spread the word and create something amazing together. Thanks for listening, and don't forget you can turn your passion into profit. Now back to the episode. hmm Yeah, I love that. And I, I definitely see that as a pattern from all of your experiences. Yeah. So we're in Sofia Amoroso's business, and mm-hmm. you were only there for a year then, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Just under, yeah.
0: Yeah, just under a year. Okay. So then you decided to start your business. hmm Looking at your past uh, from what we talked about, it doesn't seem like, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, of, like, this inkling for creating a business, starting an agency wasn't necessarily there. What made you want to start one in January of 2021?
1: I, I never wanted to start a business. It was really <laughs> scary to me. I had freelanced. I had, like, done side gigs, but I... I mean, honestly, like the taxes thing stressed me out. The health insurance thing oh, stressed yeah. me out. Like, yeah, I, it was just a whole. There were so many things I didn't understand, and yeah, you know, I was thinking this morning as I was, you know, just mentally preparing for this. And you know, I sometimes I'm so envious of people who start their business in their early twenties. I mean, that never would have worked for me, but mm-hmm. like when they when you don't know better. Because you can just, like, do the thing and figure all the stuff out later. Like, there's something mm-hmm. about that you don't know what you don't know that can be kind of freeing. And yeah, because I work for all these small businesses, I mean, as a nonprofit, I, like, was really friendly with the director of operations and the head of HR. And I, like, knew a lot about what, like, they had to do. I was like, mm-hmm. that, like there's like there's so much that goes into making this business function every day and Mm -hmm. having to do that for my own business sounds terrible but I you know I worked for Sophia and as I was working for Sophia I was her first employee she hired for business class and she she had uh, Mm -hmm. engaged a couple of contractors as well before she hired me and then I helped bring in a few others but like it it was she and I like Working on Zoom until like two in the morning, getting this curriculum done, getting the launch materials done for like oh, wow. three, four months, like getting everything out. I mean, it it was all her, but like, you know, me just like, okay, we need to do this. We need to do that. Like, how do we want to, organize? you know, and just like really making yeah. the thing happen. And I realized through that process and through advising her, you know, she who's, this is, what's her third business you know, had raised a ton of money, like knew how to rent. Like she, she has so much knowledge. Is was literally the whole point of business class. And here yes. she is asking me questions about how to run <laughs> this type of business. And mm-hmm. because, because she didn't have experience with this specific model, you know, and yeah. she's like, how can we make this work? How can we make this work? And I was like, huh, I know the answers to these questions. And mm. my answers to these questions have helped make us a lot of money. Maybe Mm -hmm. I know a lot more than I've given myself credit for. And I actually initially, my first business idea was I wanted to take this and do resources for performing artists, which I still want to do one day when I've got the time and the extra cash to kind of burn (laughs) for a little while on that. But Mm -hmm. I, you know, realized that wasn't going to be super profitable because of the audience they're just while there's a lot of people who could buy material like that they don't Mm -hmm. have a lot of money it was like Mm -hmm. I would have to be really high volume to make money Mm -hmm. so I was on I was helping a friend like volunteer on this like project that she had and she had brought a coach in for this community to come and speak on like vision casting and like where you want to go and what do you want to do with your career and Uh, She had put us through this exercise of like, where do you see yourself when you're 55? And, you know, I I did the exercise and we put everyone in the breakout rooms and I I was the host. So it was like, she and I were the ones held back when everybody else went into the breakout rooms and we were just Mm -hmm. chatting. And she was asking me, she was like, well, who did you see? And I was like, well, I was like, I live in this. Beautiful apartment on the Upper West Side. Like, It's very airy. It's spacious, and like I welcomed my younger self. I've, I've got some cookies, and we're just like, you know, future me is very relaxed. She's built this whole life for herself, and mm-hmm. I was like, I'm not going to get there by working for other people. Like, there's just no
0: mm-hmm.
1: way. Um, and I had just turned thirty, like a couple days before, mm-hmm. and there was something about like that exercise. And having a three in front of my number, which I, th- or in front of my age, which I know sounds really, really silly. But there was mm-hmm. something about that, that I was just like, I feel like people trust people in their thirties more than people in their twenties, um, <laughs> which I don't think is I don't think that's a false statement. I do think that's a true statement. No, I
0: think it's true. Yeah. Um,
1: <laughs> but that both of those things together gave me the confidence to say like, Hey, maybe I can do this and, you know. Sophia didn't want to have a big team. She wanted to keep the business lean. And I knew that that, well, that meant like we could have some really nice dips and some periods of quiet and rest. It also meant that there would be more work to be done during launches because there would just be fewer people to spread it around. And that just wasn't something I wanted to do. You know, I wanted, I wanted to lead a team. Like there were just so many other things I wanted. So I went off Mm -hmm. and started consulting.
0: While you were simultaneously still working with Sophia or you left? Oh, I,
1: so I like officially started the business in January and I gave my notice in January. It was launching in March. I said, I will, I was like, I actually said, I will stay with you through the summer if you want. I'll stay Mm -hmm. through the summer. I'll stay, let's try to get somebody in before this launch. I'll train them during the launch. And I can stay up through, like, 4th of July, basically was what I said. I was like, I can leave earlier. We can kind of Mm -hmm. talk about that. But that's the latest I will stay is for six months. Mm -hmm. And uh, she hired an awesome woman who I love and I'm still very close with. And in that February... And we spent a lot of time working together the next couple of weeks. By the end of February, I was like, I don't think you're gonna need me after the launch. Like I'll I'll stay for a week or two to make sure like things get going. And you know, if if you need to call me and like wanna hire me as like a contractor, like you can, but I don't think you you need me. And Mm -hmm. I started my business.
0: We're obviously gonna head towards the business conversation. The first thing I want to ask is, it seems like, at least for me, I'm when I used to work in that like super close capacity with business owners or even like in corporate, it would pain me to leave because I worked that close. I essentially helped build their business, mm-hmm. build the systems, and it sounded like you did too. Was that a really hard decision for you or you were just like, well, this is where I want to be in 50, at 55?
1: You know, I I knew what she wanted to build and what I wanted to... You know, I I knew what she wanted to build and what I wanted to build weren't the same. And I knew that if I stayed, I would get frustrated and I'd get resentful. Because mm-hmm. I... I think if I had stayed, I probably would have the next step would have been to find another job eventually Mm -hmm. and I think if I had another job on my resume in my early 30s where Mm -hmm. I had every title had had manager in every single one and I had never except for like a brief period when I worked for Marie I didn't really manage a full team like I'd managed a couple people here and there but I never had like a whole team and no one's gonna hire me to be a people manager like you you have to kind of I mean, you can get hired as a people manager if you haven't done that before, but it's mm-hmm. much easier to move into a people management role after you've been an individual contributor within, like to move within a company. Like it's, first of all, it's easier to learn because you can start with like one or two people, that becomes four people, that becomes eight people, 12, mm-hmm. whatever, you know, mm-hmm. versus like starting a new job and you have a team of six and you've never done it before. Like that, <laughs> honestly sounds awful. Like you should never ever do that. Sounds that's
0: terrifying. Yeah. Um,
1: so I just, I knew with where I wanted to go that staying, the longer I stayed, the more it would hold me back from that. And and that's nothing mm-hmm. against that business or Sophia, who, like, I'm still very close with and I still work with. And, you yeah. know, it was just, I, I think there needs to be more conversation and more discourse around, like, just because a role you're in isn't right for you and your goals doesn't, it, like, it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with the role and the company mm-hmm. and the leader. It mm-hmm. just means that at the end of the day, we don't all want the same things, yeah. you know? And I've always known I wanted other things. Like, I've, I've been in roles in the past where I've talked about, like, oh, in five years I want to be doing this other thing. And my boss has said to me, what do you mean you want to be doing this other
0: thing? Mm.
1: And, And they like get offended that like, I want to be doing another job.
0: Having clear goals is so important. And what I mean by clear goals is personal customized goals. Goals that fit your personality, ambitions, and dreams. This is important to emphasize because many of us allow outside influences to dictate and change our original goals. How many times have you thought of an idea a brand, or a business, and then went on Instagram and saw your favorite influencer and what they were doing, and decided to scrap what you had planned and instead model your goals after them because if it worked for them, it must work for you, well that's not what we want to do. You are a unique individual with unique perspectives and a unique vision to offer. Stay true to that vision, even if colleagues and others have a different vision. So you said Mm -hmm. that you weren't necessarily signing clients during that kind of buffer time. What were you doing? What was that? Mm -hmm. What did that look like to set the groundwork for your business?
1: I mean, I was launching business class. So there was that I, I was starting to, I was putting feelers out. So I actually, one of the best things I did then was I started a peer mastermind that started like that January or February, because I didn't know that many people in the industry I had always worked in other people's businesses. And when you work behind big creators, most of the time, you know, the focus is on the creator, not on their team as it should be, you know, like that people aren't paying for, you know, people aren't buying business class to talk to Sophia's like marketing person. They're they're doing it to talk to Sophia, you know, like it wasn't about me. So because of that, while I like, was connected to lots of other big creators through, you know, through my past employers, I wasn't connected to anyone in their first couple years of business or who like hadn't hit a million dollars or who hadn't, like I hadn't hit a $10,000, like I hadn't hit any milestone. I, I was starting from scratch. I was starting from scratch with the knowledge and experience of someone who had run like, or who had been part of like eight figure launches, which is just very like, Kind of a little bit of the yes, it was actually really hard. And I, so I started this pure mastermind group and I, you know, I had a couple people that I knew, um, and who I knew were connected. So I said, Hey, I want to start a group of about 10 people. I want you to be part of it. I want this other person we both know to be a part of it. Um, I'm going to put the invitations out to them. Um, I'd also like to invite these people who I know, you know, but I don't know. Would you reach out to them for me? And we had a group of 10 people. There were kind of... Yeah. What? No, unpaid. 10, 10 people, unpaid, just like peer group. We got together once a month for 90 minutes, and we just did like a hot seat session. And it was great because I had people to ask questions to. I didn't have $10,000 or you know, more to invest in a mastermind. I had like my salary was ending and I had no, no revenue. <laughs> I was like, I need people who are at my level. And it, it's the best thing i ever done. I'm still friends with them to this day. They, some of them have been clients. I've hired some of them. Like we, none of us had directly competing businesses, but we all had pretty complimentary businesses, which was really nice. Um, so I had that going, which meant I had people I could call and talk to and run my offers by. I hired a copywriter, I hired a designer. Um, I know there's like a lot of schools of thought about at what point you should like brand your business. And I, I, which I have thoughts on too. And I don't, I actually don't really disagree with like, you don't need a logo and a website to start. I don't think that's false. But at the same time with where I was coming from, I knew I had to start at a certain level um, because of what I wanted to charge and what I knew I could charge. Like I couldn't have materials that looked like they were just like DIY by somebody who didn't know what they were doing. So I invested in that. Um, I had like a couple of small clients that I worked with on the weekends who were friends of friends who I did work for at like a really big discount to start testing out like some different services and to pay for, a logo to pay for, you know, website copy, all that stuff. And that was pretty much what I was doing, like building materials to start getting my services off the ground.
0: So 2021 to now, we just started 2023. We're in February Mm -hmm. of 2023. You scaled fast then, right? Because you have a team Mm -hmm. of like, what, seven, eight, eight people now. Mm -hmm. Most are full time. What was that like for you coming from like a, you know, you were always working under someone, supporting someone's business, and then you just dive headfirst into starting your own, and then it's like everything just kind of snowballs in two years.
1: I mean, I think of the snowball is a great analogy. Um, So I was doing consulting only for the first six months, and... The thing that came out of all of my consulting conversations was we really, like, I did a lot of audits. That was, like, my signature offer was I would I audited people's launches, um, which mm-hmm. I still do on occasion, and I, I actually love doing it. But I would do the audit. I would present them with my recommendations, and they'd say, cool, we want to hire you to implement this. And I would say, I don't do that because I did it. Yeah. I could have, but I didn't want to. Like, I had just been doing for 10 years, and I didn't want to do anymore. <laughs> And then enough people asked me that I finally said yes. I was like, I don't want to do this by myself. So I found some contractors and did like the agency contractor situation um, where I would hire contractors in on a project basis. And I didn't love that at all for for a couple of reasons. A, it's really expensive. And B... You don't have a lot of control over timing of deliverables when you do it that way, because you can't really control when a contractor works. And if you're listening to this and you are controlling when your contractor works that and you're in the United States, it might be illegal. So don't do that. Um, You like, you you know, you like you literally I can't say to anyone who is a contractor, like, I need you to work from like nine to three and during that timing to do this like that's just not how that relationship works you set your deliverables Mm -hmm. you set your deadline and they have until that deadline to do that and i was under the expectation or incorrect assumption i I also didn't do a good job setting expectations which is my own fault but you know i get a deliverable that i would say to the client you'll have it on wednesday and that was the due date i had set to you know the contractor and they would send this to me wednesday at like 10 o'clock at night and then I would look at it and maybe I had feedback and I was like, well, this can go to the client and also the client's sleeping. And yeah. I was like, okay. So you just start like backing into time and like, okay, I guess even if they gave it to me Tuesday, if I had said Tuesday, like now I still need to review. Like there was just so much in terms of the logistics of working with contractors. I was like, it's just, it's just not sustainable for mm. me, for me and the type of business I wanted to do. And the, um and how quickly and nimble you have to be a lot of times when you work on a launch like sometimes you just can't be that you just don't have the luxury of time all the time when you're doing launches
0: in the last two years which is a very short amount of time you know things have snowballed Mm -hmm. how what was that like mentally to have to kind of keep up with that growth as well as physically what did that look like for you
1: I mean, physically it's exhausting. I'm very tired. Mm. Um, it's I mean, it's hard. I think it's I I have very high expectations for myself, which is like that's my own issues to work out. But, you know, I you know, I kinda go back to what I was saying earlier that I get I, I get very envious sometimes of people who start their business earlier in their career and don't have an expectation or have a can have a different path to growth and six, you know, and success, you know, for me, like, I've certainly leveraged the names of my past employers to get to where I am, you know, and that's mm-hmm. made it easy for me to send clients It's made people want to work with me. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very fortunate to have that. But with that, it's also a very high standard of work that I have to be delivering at all times. Um, so it's, it's a lot, it's a lot to have to also train team members who may be new to the industry. They don't have the experience that I do, you know, to Mm. also deliver to that standard and to understand that, you know, I can whip copy out that speaking to entrepreneurs, you know, and like, I, I could like literally because I did it this morning, like <laughs> I whipped out like literally 12 emails in like an hour because mm-hmm. I I do I've done it for years and I know this audience, I know how to speak. Like I just like it just comes right out. Whereas like yeah. my copywriter, it might take her four times as long. And it's not because she's not a great writer, which she is, but mm-hmm. you know, she's not an entrepreneur. She hasn't been writing for entrepreneurs for years, you know, and it's mm-hmm it takes a lot of patience and a lot of time and a lot of training to mm. get to where you want to go. And I, I'm not even there yet. You know, I think that's the other
0: thing mm. is
1: like, I, I still have a long way to go and a lot of things to figure out. And I think we all do.
0: What is there? What is that kind of like, I guess, let's look at five years. What does five in the five years, next five years look like for Audrey Digital and all of the branches?
1: I mean, I don't think I'm going to be running this company in five years, which Mm
0: -hmm. I don't really talk
1: about publicly, but my team knows. Like I've been very transparent with my team. I still I want to own the business, but I Mm -hmm. I eventually I'd love to bring in somebody else to run it, Um, and I want the company to be at a point where people don't hire us for me, they hire us for the team. That's really where I want to be five years from now, which would really allow me to take a step back and do some other things. Like I have other projects I want to pursue, I have other things I want. And you know, like Mm -hmm. I love the agency. I love what we've built. I'm excited about what we've built, you know, but I I built this business because it was expected of me and because people asked me to not because it was my choice and it's allowed me a lot of opportunities that i'm going to continue to leverage and keep taking advantage of but um yeah this this isn't my forever job and i think i think that's also really important to talk about and share as well because that was my other fear in starting a business was like then what you start this business and then like what if you don't want to do anymore you do like to stop you sell it you know like there's creating a business doesn't you're not I mean marriage isn't permanent but like you know (laughs) you're not married to your business you know like you you can get rid of it at any point you know whether that's selling it whether that's bringing in someone else to run it and you know again like I said earlier like I don't I personally don't want this agency to be like a big agency, like maybe 20 to 25 employees, I think would be a nice sweet spot. But Mm -hmm. that might not be the life of this agency. Like maybe this becomes an agency of a hundred people. I don't know how to run that business. And I don't know that I want to know how to run that business. So I would rather bring in somebody who does. And if, Mm -hmm. if that seems to be the life where this is going, let somebody else can do that. And I like can become an advisor. I can be in a different role. Like I don't have to be in this seat forever.
0: Talking with Audrey, we learned a lot of subtle life perspectives that help when trying to turn a passion or interest into a career. Make yourself irreplaceable by learning as many skills as possible. When networking let people know the value you can add to their life rather than talking too much about the value they can add to yours. Prepare yourself for opportunity and it will happen. Set yourself up for the chance to take risks by having skills and jobs you can fall back on and have clear goals for yourself. Who are you? What genuinely gives you joy? Pursue that. Make that your goal. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. We could not have done it without the hard work and dedication of our amazing team. A special thanks to Andrew for audio design and post-production support, to Addy for graphics and marketing, And of course, a huge thanks to our guests for sharing their passion and their story on today's episode. Be sure to check out the show notes for an exclusive blog interview, as well as links to support them and their business. And don't forget to leave a review and share this podcast on your social media. We appreciate your support and can't wait to bring you more great content in the future. I'm Chelsea, and I'll catch you in the next episode. Thanks for listening.